0: Hi and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms, brought to you today by Learning RX Brain Training Centers. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Moore, here with my co-host Terry Miller, coming to you today from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Our guest today is parent coach and board-certified behavior analyst Sarah Rose Whaley. Sarah Rose works with parents of toddlers to help resolve issues of mom guilt, burnout, lack of self-care, parents not being on the same page. Setting Boundaries, and the focus of today's interview, Toddler Listening Strategies. As a parent coach, Sarah Rose works with parents to address these issues because they have a direct effect on parent behavior, and parent behavior has an effect on toddler behavior. She's also an expert on educating parents on gentle and respectful parenting strategies. So glad that you're here, Sarah
1: Rose. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, well, before we get into all the great information you have for us, I want you to tell our listeners about yourself, kind of give us a little bit of your background and how you landed where you are today, specializing in toddlerhood.
2: Yeah, so I'm coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, I have been working with families for over 15 years as a developmental therapist, working with population from zero to three years old and then as a board certified behavior analyst. And so I have enjoyed so much working with so many different families, hundreds of different families. And I would work directly with children and then provide parent training as kind of like a a side part of the job. And I loved parents training. I loved helping parents have those light bulb moments to be able to work with their kids. But what I kept finding was that parents were having so much trouble implementing a lot of the strategies that I would come in with. And I knew they worked. they were working with their kids. they were working with you know all of these other kids and they're backed by research. And what I found was that so many parents were having these issues uh, that Dr. Amy mentioned, the like the mom guilt and burnout and lack of self-care and parents having no idea what their values are as a family and then not being on the same page because of it or just having, really different ideas of parenting. And all of this led to a lack of consistency. And if you know anything about behavior and especially toddlers, you have to have consistency to be able to see a change in behavior. Um, Sorry, you have to have awareness to have consistency. And then you have to have consistency to have a change in behavior. So it was leading to a lack of awareness, which was then leading to the lack of consistency. So as a board certified behavior analyst, I was working with insurance, and insurance doesn't really care too much about your self-care or your mom guilt or whether you're on the same page as your partner. Um and so I wasn't really able to work with the parents in the way that I wanted to to address these issues, like kind of the root causes. And so then I became a mom. And then COVID happened <laughs> and um, I knew I wanted to work with parents of toddlers. I knew I wanted to work with parents and then I wanted to work specifically with parents of toddlers because as we discussed uh, before recording, I love the toddler stage. I have always loved the toddler stage. Um, and we, we talked We talked before, it's a lot of, it's a stage of ands. It's a stage where it's exhausting and it's so fun Mm -hmm. and it is frustrating as anything and it's really magical and it is super emotional and it's super exciting. There's just all these ands about this stage Mm -hmm. and it's such a foundational stage, both as for teaching your kids and for parents learning parenting strategies and for moms like becoming the moms that they want to be and, and not getting lost in motherhood. So I wanted to work with parents in this early stage to make the stage fun because it is, it can be this really great stage and can be so much fun. And I want parents to experience that. And I feel like so much gets lost in like terrible twos and three major and whatever the four is. And I I want people to enjoy it and have more joy in this stage. So now I work with parents of toddlers and um, set a strong foundation for their future parenting.
0: Yeah, I find the toddler stage to be magical as well. I can remember holding my middle child. He was about 18 months And looking at him, I called him my little elf because his ears stuck out and his hair kind of stuck up on like it blew in the wind. It was just, and I remember thinking, I don't ever want him to change. I wish I could just package this age and keep him Mm -hmm. there, Um, but he was also an easy toddler. So it's it's easy to say that when you have an easy toddler, but the reality is Mm -hmm. there are parents who struggle with the toddler era, right? Yeah. And so what do you see as parents' biggest struggle when it comes to parenting their toddlers?
2: I think the biggest thing I see is parents not setting clear boundaries. And a lot of that, it usually it comes from two places. One, it comes from parents feeling like boundaries are mean mm-hmm. because Sometimes boundaries result in your child getting upset, you know, no, you can't run into the street. (laughs) I'm going to hold this boundary Or No, you can't grab the knife off the counter and then your child is upset or no, no, you can't color on the wall. So it's a lot of parents feel bad. So they will give a lot of extra chances or they are just so burnt out on the tantrums and they don't know what they should be doing. And so they give extra chances because they're just trying to avoid a meltdown because they're just, they're done. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I try to teach is that boundaries are loving and kind. And when you know what a boundary is, you know how far you can go and you're not having to, your toddler's not having to constantly test it. Mm -hmm. And what happens is parents don't set these clear boundaries for their child or for themselves because they're not even really sure what boundaries to set. And then by the time that they actually hold a boundary, they come in frustrated and angry and yelling and whatever it is. And then you have more meltdowns.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I used to say that um, <clears throat> not giving children boundaries is like putting them on a tightrope without a net underneath.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so they actually need them and want them. They just don't realize that
2: yeah. Um, yeah.
0: at yeah. the time. Right. So what, what are some ways to communicate boundaries to toddlers so that a, you don't feel like you're being mean, um, but that you're being effective at the same time.
2: Yeah. So I'm a big believer in natural consequences and logical consequences. So, you know, if you don't put your shoes on, we can't go outside. Or if you don't put your shoes on, you're will be cold. I, you know, would be a natural consequence that I would allow my children to have. Um, but, or if you throw your food, I'm going to, we're, we're going to be all done with your meal. So I think that a lot of it is parents, uh, needing to understand what is an age appropriate behavior and then what an age appropriate and logical consequence is Um, and then going into situations with a plan. And the more that you feel confident in this, the more you can go in and like, say, okay, here's the expectation. Here's going to be the consequence and you can show up more neutral about it. Instead of you going in with this big reaction that then causes an even bigger reaction when your toddler melts down.
1: Yeah. It's more about preparing them, training them, creating a structure than it is, like reprimanding and disciplining that if we've prepared them and had expectations ahead of time, then there's not as much anger and frustration on my part as a mom. Right.
2: Well, so here's an example. My son is two. And um, one of our favorite activities is to go on a walk and sit down and collect acorns. And it is like, and this, these are the moments that make me like, make me cry first of all, but like, (laughs) that make me be like, this is toddlerhood. And this is why I love toddlerhood because it's something so insignificant to an adult, like no adults going to sit and collect acorns and be like, you know, just obsessed with this activity. But my son is again, he's two. And I have very clear boundaries of you have to walk on the sidewalk. If you go into the street, We're going to go inside. And it's like this very clear expectation that it's not an issue because I've set this expectation from a really early stage and now we don't really talk about it anymore. Nice. So now we can go sit four feet from the street for 45 minutes and play acorns. And it is such a bonding time. I'm able to show up fully present because I'm not worried about what he's going to do. He knows what the rules are. So he's not trying to test them. And mm-hmm. that is where I think the joy and the magic show up in, in, in enjoying those little seemingly insignificant moments that are so significant.
1: Yeah. I read a I read a research study that supports what you're saying, and this has been years ago. I would not be able to find it again. I don't know who knows, um, but it was about. Uh, kids little kids i don't remember what age they're playing on a playground so um the research study was evaluating before the fence had been put up so there was this playground area playscape and the children all stayed very very close like within just a few feet of the edge of the playscape on all sides they did not venture out anywhere else very close uh because they were limited I don't know. I'm not going to say why. Anyway, then a fence was constructed, however many feet out, 50 feet out, 100 feet out. I don't know. I don't know. But they had this huge play area then that was fenced. Only difference was that they put the fence, and now the kids came in and immediately explored the entire area. Once they had that boundary and that fence, They were able to have more fun, to be more free, to explore more. The parents were at ease. And so it created this wider experience by creating a boundary, which we would think is confining, but it actually wasn't.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and I talk so much about that, of how boundaries, to me, equal freedom, for me and for my kids. And there's so much freedom that come from boundaries. And I think that's where, when I talk about boundaries, being kind and loving, that's how I'm thinking about them is because now you show up and you're calm and you are present and you are not anxious or angry and your child responds to that.
1: That's such a good line. Boundaries equal freedom. Oh, what a good line. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so talk a little bit about um how you train your toddler um to understand those boundaries in the beginning. So we I, we see the beauty in what happens once they understand mm-hmm. them, but how do you get to
2: that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so like for that example and um, I I just had somebody on TikTok talking about their I think almost 4-year-old that's running away. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's so scary. It's a, it's a terrifying uh, behavior. Um, So what I do with my kids and what I've done with all clients that I've ever worked with and what I recommend is if you're going for a walk before you go out, and I still will say this to my kids, not really my three and a half year old, but my two year olds for sure. You can walk on the sidewalk and, or you can walk on the driveways. If you walk into the grass, mommy's going to give you one reminder. And I do the grass because it's a really clear boundary between the sidewalk and the road so that they're not kind of, you know, on the edge there. So I'll say, if you walk onto the grass, if it's by a busy road, if you walk onto the grass, then I'm going to give you one reminder. And if you do it again, then I'm going to hold your hand. Mm -hmm. And so it's really clear. And then there's no extra chances. There's no like, oh, but like, it was just a toe. Oh, it was, you know, just for a second. And so, yeah, sometimes you kind of feel like a mean mom in that moment. Um, and yes, sometimes your toddler is going to melt down, um, but you're really clear. And then the next time they do it say, Oh, I'm sorry, buddy, but you walked on the grass. So I'm going to hold your hand now to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And then you are calm because again, you had this whole plan going into it. And so when they're like, you know, have their big meltdown, you can go in and you can validate their feelings. I know it's really sad. I know it's hard. You really wanted to walk by yourself, but we can try it again later, tomorrow, whatever it is. And then the next time, and sometimes it means you pick your kid up and carry them because they're completely melting down and, (laughs) you know, throwing themselves down. So then the next time I use the previous time as a learning experience. Hey, buddy, do you remember the rules? The rules are you have to stay on the sidewalk or the driveway. Remember last time you walked into the grass and then mommy had to hold your hand and you were really sad about it. So let's see if you can stay on the sidewalk. And then as he's walking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love what a good listener you are. You're staying on the sidewalk. You're staying so safe, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it's just a really clear thing. And it usually, when I hold that boundary, I don't usually have to teach it much, you know, often. It's like a couple of times and they learn. Okay, and now we can enjoy our walk. Yeah, I love that, and yeah. I love that you phrase everything in a positive
0: way. That it's a reminder that you give them, not a warning, yeah. um, right? And then the consequence is a loving, safe action, right? Yeah. Right. You're going yeah. to hold their hand or carry them. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's not a threat of a punishment. It's right. that okay you want freedom. And so I'm kind of removing the freedom that you've, that you've earned, you know, when, when you don't follow the boundary or when Mm -hmm. you push the limits.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think so much of, I think what parents, um, forget to focus on is what behavior do they want to see versus what behavior do they want to decrease? So the behavior I want to see is you walking on the sidewalk. So now by holding my hand, you're walking on the sidewalk Versus like putting him in timeout and then having him go out. It's not, it doesn't really have anything to do with walking on the sidewalk.
1: Right. And I I think, yeah, what we see a lot is this doing the opposite is don't get on the grass. We say the opposite. Don't go in the street. Don't step off the sidewalk instead Mm -hmm. of the positive side of that. Let's stay on the sidewalk. We don't, yeah. we don't need to say the don'ts, you know, we just focus on the positives yeah. and then, yeah, instead of like, you know, swatting, I mean, we see, par- we see parents like that at, at, at parks and the grocery store, they, That's you know, parents get frustrated and then they swat their child and that, and there's, it's, everything is the negative instead of, I love what you're saying. We're focusing on the positive. Even the consequence is gentle. It is kind, but it's maintaining that positive boundary.
2: Yeah, well, and and here's the thing, and I know you know a lot of um, people have issues with gentle parenting, and I actually don't like the term gentle parenting. I think it implies (laughs) that you just kind of lay there and let your kid do whatever they want. (laughs) So I I prefer respectful parenting. Um, Well, a lot of people will say, well, like I don't want to have to always tell my kids something positive, and and my argument for that is, I was in the car. This is a quick story. I was in the car with my son. And he was listening to music. He was listening to happy birthday. And he started saying, no, happy birthday. No, happy birthday. And I was like, okay, okay. I hear you. What song do you want? He's like, no, happy birthday. No, happy birthday. (laughs) And I was like, buddy, I hear you. I hear what you do not want. And so I'm like, do you want wheels on bus? Do you want twinkle? And I'm like, start like trying all of these things. And I'm getting frustrated and he's getting frustrated. And finally he told me, and I was like, oh, Great, I can play that now. And it was such a, a good reminder to me of when you sit there and just tell your kids what you don't want, it leads to so much frustration for both of you versus just being like, this is what I want. This is what I expect. Absolutely.
0: You paralyze them when you tell them no mm-hmm. um, if you haven't given them an alternative. Yeah. 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 It, just like he paralyzed you. Yeah. yeah. I, was like, I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Golly, that's so good. Okay. So you were trying to get his attention, trying to get through to him, but he's a toddler. He's got toddler brain. He's just yelling at you. Yelling back. So let's transition. Talk to us now about, you mentioned that you are passionate about something you refer to as toddler listening. Tell us more about that.
0: So wait, I'm going to stop you before we get into (laughs) this, because this is the meat of our conversation. Uh, We need to take a quick break. Let Terry read a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, let's talk about some strategies. Okay.
1: Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? While most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction, they're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened, skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. LearningRx one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give LearningRx a call at 866-BRAIN-01 or visit learningrx.com. That's
0: learningrx.com. Okay, so we're back talking to Sarah Rose, and uh, you're going to tell us some strategies to help uh, toddlers learn to listen.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Um, so mm-hmm. I think, you know, we talked we talked a lot about boundaries and um, briefly touched on logical consequences. Um, so I think when you're going into a situation of wanting your toddler to listen, one, I have... Um, kind of two questions I ask, I tell people to ask themselves and what this does. I I talked briefly at the beginning about how you have to be aware to be consistent. And a lot of times I'll go in and and I'll observe a family for 10 minutes (laughs) and they're like, did you learn anything? I'm like, yeah, you're, you're very inconsistent. And they're like, what? I'm like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, you just told him 10 times to get off the couch. And they're like, oh, I I didn't even know that. I'm like, right. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot. Again, there's so much awareness that has to go into consistency. Um, So what I tell people is to ask themselves two questions before giving a direction. And this is not a permanent thing that you always have to do, but it starts to create awareness. So one, do I really care about this in this moment? Two, can I physically follow through in this moment? So if your child is jumping on the couch and you are sick and you are tired and you know that you're probably not actually going to get up, do I really care about it in this moment? Maybe not. Okay. And if you don't really care about it enough to get up and follow through, then I wouldn't ask it. Two, can I physically follow through? So can you either, you're going to give your child a chance to get off the couch or to sit down or to jump on the floor, whatever it is. And if they don't, you're going to give them an option. You can either do it by yourself or I can help you. And then I would gently help them go jump on the floor, jump, you know, sit on whatever it is they're allowed to do, jump on something else. Um, But again, what I see so often is parents, you know, you're, You're breastfeeding, or you're in the middle of cooking dinner, or you're in the shower and you're yelling all of these directions at your kids. And you either are not going to because you don't really actually care enough, or you cannot follow through. And then by the time that you finally decide that you're ready to follow through, you're so frustrated. And that's where yelling and then tantrums in response to yelling happen. Yeah. And what it does is so often parents um you know with they are asking I I, I hear people all the time I ask 10 times gently and then I explode. Yeah. And I'm like that's your problem though. That's your problem because while you're asking 10 times gently, one, you're getting worked up, you're getting frustrated. And two, your toddlers like Does, does she mean it on the first time or on the 10th time or only when she yells or only when she threatens or whatever it is. So you're creating such inconsistency for your toddler and you're teaching your toddler that what you say doesn't, they don't really have to trust what you say. Oh
1: yeah. Ouch.
2: Yeah. And then you have these big tantrums and people, and then of course it's this vicious cycle of, well, I don't want to follow through because my kid's going to have a big tantrum. Mm
1: Mm-hmm
2: um, versus my kids, like my, my two-year-old has tantrums. I mean, he's two, I'm not saying that tantrums aren't going to exist, but they're so quick because he knows they're not going to change my behavior and they're not going to get him. If I ask him to do something, a tantrum's not going to change, you know, change my mind. Right. So that, that brings th- me to an
0: interesting question. Then <laughs> what do you do when your child throws himself on the floor and has a tantrum? Oh yeah. yeah.
1: When you're in the middle of things, when you're at the grocery store and you have a cart full and you're heading to check out, and you've got your baby in your arms and the baby needs to be fed and you're hurrying. Okay. Let's set up that rough scenario. Cause we've all been there. What do you do? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. Right. Um, so I haven't had the, my, my baby, my, I had a toddler and a baby at the start of the pandemic. So I haven't had a baby and a toddler in public before, um, <laughs> but I will give an example of my own son. We were at the grocery store a couple of weeks ago and they were sitting in one of those, uh, carts with the steering wheels mm-hmm. that are so fun. And they didn't, neither kid wanted to be buckled up. And I said, okay, You guys can sit um, without being buckled up, but if you stand up on the seat, I'm going to give you one reminder and then I'm going to buckle you up to keep you safe. And my son, of course, stood up. He's two. You know, it's their job to test boundaries. So he stood up and I was like, oh, buddy, remember, mommy told you you got to sit to stay safe. So if you do that again, I'm going to have to buckle you up. And so, of course, he did it again. Um, And so I buckled him up and I was really calm about it. And he screamed bloody murder. in the middle of Wegmans it's no, Publix in the middle of Publix. Um, and lots of people stared at me. And what I do is it sucks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but what I remind myself is when I follow through in this moment, in this really hard moment, the chances that he's going to do this again, decrease, right. Versus, and again, he's two, two-year-olds are going to a tantrum. They just are. And anybody who's had a kid knows this or should know this. Um, So I'm like, you know what? If people want to judge me, I'm totally cool with that. Um, I know that it's going to decrease this. And so now when he's three or even when we go to the grocery store the next time, guess what? He sat down Mm -hmm. because he really didn't want to be buckled up.
1: Right. I'm hearing I'm hearing something really important that I want to just reflect back, like repeat um that you you created a boundary mm-hmm. so you said ahead of time what the expectation was and you said what the consequence would be if mm-hmm. that expectation wasn't met so that was really great that was um that was creating a plan instead of just reacting and yeah. so that's super powerful and the second thing i i heard that i want to reflect back to the listeners is that you stayed very calm. You were resigned to the fact that this, fit was going to happen. Yeah. You stayed calm. You didn't fret about what people would think. Yeah. And yeah. that can change everything because yeah. that keeps your child more calm. It calms them down more quickly and it helps you be resolved to doing what you know is best.
2: Right. You yeah. were playing the long so game because you know yeah. the benefit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's what I always tell people is I am not <clears throat> thinking about how to change behavior in this moment.
1: Oh, good.
2: I'm thinking about long-term because in that moment, I could have given him a cookie every time he stood up or given him <clears throat> my phone or, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know whatever it was, and he would have sat down. But now guess what? I've set myself up every time I better have a cookie. Right. I better have my phone for him, so I'm always thinking long term. And the other part about show, about um, setting that expectation for your kids is again, you're setting it for yourself. So you're stating a plan, and so if you if you tell your kids a plan, you've had to already think about it. So you've had to already be aware. This is how I'm going to handle this. I'm, and you're looking ahead to what potential things are going to happen. Know my kid's gonna stand up. Of course he is. He's a toddler. That's what toddlers do. So I know this is probably gonna happen, and then I have a plan, and then I can follow through calmly. But yeah. it again, it takes a lot of awareness and pre-planning and consciousness.
1: Yeah, intentionality. So yeah. much intentionality.
2: Yeah. And I do, I do
1: want our listeners to hear that this all sounds good and fine, and yet we know you're exhausted. We know the ands. Of uh raising toddlers, that it's so precious and they are so sweet and adorable and delightful. And we we used to say, who needs TV when you have whatever toddler we had at the time? You know, who needs yeah. TV when you have Ian? Who needs TV when you have Serene? You know, because they're so delightful. You could just watch them for hours. And it's exhausting. Yeah. And it's so hard to be intentional. So yeah. please hear that we have compassion, that we know that. And then if, if you can just try to start having some of these intentional tactics, it's going to make a huge difference. It'll be less exhausting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be super clear. I am a you know parenting expert with all these years and I know all the right things to do. And I absolutely mess up. <laughs> right yeah. Um, it is. That is part of being a parent. I am not a perfect parent. I yell at my kids sometimes. I don't like it, and sometimes I do it because yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, and I'm out of patience. Um, and I don't know if we're going to talk how much we're going to talk about mom guilt and all that, but that ties in so much um, of being able to have compassion with yourself.
1: Well, let's go there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I didn't mean to kind of take over this yeah. topic.
1: That, that's perfect. Yes, yeah, the segue. That's, Here we go. Interview. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, so a lot of, like we talked about, the let's talk about the other side of the ands, the the exhaustion and the overwhelm and the mommy, 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 all day long. <laughs> you know, all those things are being touched out, the sensory mm-hmm. overload of it. You have to take care of yourself. And in order, again, I talked about in order to be consistent, you have to be aware. And in order to be aware you have to be in a good place mentally
1: Hmm.
2: because if you are showing up to your kids completely drained and you're consumed by mom guilt, that's spinning in your head. Yeah. It's so, so hard to be aware and it's so hard to show up as a calm, loving parent that you want to be and hold boundaries while your kid is, you know, losing their stuff (laughs) in the grocery store. Um, Yeah. So I am a huge, I talk so much about self-care. And when I talk about self-care, I don't just mean like getting your nails done once a month or something like that. I'm talking about what I see as parents going, especially moms going and having self-care, except they're feeling guilty the whole time. Mm. And I'm like, that's in my definition, that is not self-care because self-care should recharge you. It should be like putting your phone on a charger and filling you up so that you then can go pour into your family the way that you want to. So if you are taking an hour away and you're feeling like crap the whole time and you're speeding yourself up, that's just draining you more. Mm -hmm. So I talk so much about you have to prioritize yourself and your basic needs and your self-care in order to, to show up this way. And in order to like, fully be there the way that you want to be cannot run on empty. Mm-hmm. I love that.
0: Uh, so I'm imagining um, listeners now saying, great. Yes. I would love to recharge. I would love to not pour from an empty cup, but how do I do that? How?
2: Yeah. 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 And it's hard. So, um, you know, I talked to a single mom yesterday and obviously that is very different from my situation where I have a partner and I can, I can have breaks. So, I think a lot of it is getting creative. And again, I think self-care doesn't have to be an hour or, you know, a day away. It can be small. So, I mean, for my kids, my kids sleep through the night because they're, you know, they're toddlers, they, they're good sleepers. Um, so I get up before my kids every morning and the mornings that I don't, I regret it, <laughs> but I get up before my kids and I have a cup of coffee alone in the silent house. And it's, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, where I actually get to have hot coffee and I'm not interrupted and reheating it in the microwave. (laughs) And that difference, the difference in my day, taking just those few minutes at the beginning of each day is like dramatic, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: dramatic. The days that I don't have that. And I just wake up to my toddlers, mommy, mommy, I don't want bananas. I want pancakes. You whatever it is, <laughs> it's morning breakfast stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't. Um, so I think being able to find, even if it's like three minutes or you put a show on for your kids, if you are a single parent or you're a stay at home mom, like I am, and you're not getting time, put a show on your kids for your kids. And then you take recharging time where you're not feeling guilty of reframing it to not like I'm a bad mom. My kids are watching TV and their brains are rotting, but I'm a great mom. I'm going to take 20 minutes to refill my battery so that I can show up as an even better mom.
1: That's so good. That, that, I'm not a bad mom for doing those things. I'm not a bad mom for letting my kiddo watch blues Clues for, you know, 45 minutes. I'm a good mom because I'm doing that so that I can take care of me and actually not have stinky armpits and food on my clothes. And like, that's good. That's, oh, yay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think so much of it for for me is like, and I talked so much about like reframing your thoughts of. I think so many parents and even like society, like society just talks about like, you're a bad mom. If you do this, you're a bad mom. If you do this and parents like Facebook is just full of, I feel like I'm a bad mom for this. I don't think I have ever seen a Facebook post or anybody say I'm a good mom. Yeah. And I think it's, <sighs> it's crap. We, and we need that. And yet why do
1: we do the opposite? Oh,
2: opposite. So yeah. I, I have clients and I do this every single day. I tell myself I'm a great mom every single day. And I, and I believe it is the thing because I have like trained my brain. And the more that you believe it, the more you're going to show up as a good mom. So every single day I tell myself I'm a great mom and it makes me show up as a better mom. And when I mess up, which like I said, I, I certainly mess up. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I yell at my kids. Don't like how I handled that. I'm a great mom and I made a mistake. I'm just, I have nine
1: kids <laughs> and I have spent a lot of years, most of those years, focusing on the times that I screw up. Ah, how different I would be, how I would wish this for you listeners, how I would wish this for my kids when they have kids. Can you every day tell yourself you're a good mom because you are, you are. And I was, I was, and I still am. And yet I miss that Sarah Rose. I miss it. I focus on how I screwed up.
0: Thank you. Oh, I'm so inspired. I'm going to go home and like write it on my bathroom mirror. I'm a good mom. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're a good mom right? You're listening to this podcast because you're looking for tips. Yeah. You're looking for parenting tips. And so the fact that you care enough to seek out expert advice,
1: you're a great mom. You're right. If you are listening, then go write that on your mirror. You're a good mom and tell yourself every day, what a difference that would make.
2: Yeah. I want to, can I talk about I'm, I'm sorry. I know you probably have a, a script. You talk about whatever no, you, you want to you talk have, about, Sarah Rose. You go. <laughs> I to talk to
1: you. <laughs> no, Sarah Rose, the script is only for when we have like boring Yeah,
2: we're, we're not having any of that. <laughs> no,
1: this is great. This is so inspiring. And I don't even have toddlers anymore. And I'm so inspired. <laughs>
2: oh, I'm, see, that is like my whole, that is why I'm, that's why I'm doing this. As I want moms, I want moms to feel like they're good moms. And if they, what if they start that in toddlerhood? What if oh. you start that in toddlerhood, you know? Yeah. You yeah. That foundation. But what I want to talk about is when you do mess up, because this is where I see so much mom guilt and it's so easy to get stuck in that. And then what happens when you feel guilty is you beat yourself up and you don't recharge and then you show up more impatient because you're more burned out. Mm -hmm. So when I mess up and this is what I have clients do as well is, um, you know, let's say you yelled at your kids. So I will apologize to my kids. First of all, Hey, you know what? I am really sorry that mommy yelled. I was feeling really frustrated. I, I shouldn't have yelled. I should have used my words. I should have taken a deep breath when I was feeling upset. So I'll explain like what I would want them to do and what I should have done. I will sometimes mention the behavior that upset me, not in a, you yelled and made mommy mad, but like, you weren't listening and that made me frustrated, but here's what I should have done. So it's like very much about myself, not blaming them. Then I always practice extra self-care when I mess up. And this is where, this is where people, nobody does this.
1: Yeah. Right?
2: When you mess up, you beat yourself up, right? You, sit there and you punish yourself. You stay up late or you have an extra glass of wine or you cry or you, whatever it is. And then you show up in the, and the cycle perpetuates. So when I mess up, I know that I mess up because I am tired. I am stressed. I am sick. I'm burnt out, whatever. That's usually what triggers is pretty much what triggers everybody. So I will go and I will, I will refill it, whatever it's like, if it's the kids are napping instead of doing laundry, I will sit there and watch a show or read or take a shower. Then when I am recharged and sometimes it's like a three minute recharge, <laughs> as <a stay-at-home, laughs> um, I run through this scenario. So instead of beating myself up, I go through in my head, I play out the whole scenario in my head. And I think, what could I I have done differently? And not in a shaming or I should have done this better, but like, let me look at this. Why was I triggered? How could I do this differently? Here's, I wish I would have said this. So here's what I'm going to try next time. And it allows you to be so much more proactive and to practice it. And it's exactly what I have people do with their parents do with their toddlers, but I do that for myself as well. And so then you're turning this, You know, this mess up that again, we all have, you're turning it not into this shaming, guilty thing, but you're learning, turning it into a teaching experience. And it's the same for our kids. Like, if our kids mess up, you're not like, why did you do that? Why? You're a terrible person. But, you know, I mean, hopefully you're not. Right. (laughs) Um, But we have to have that same compassion for ourselves. And that's where then you're going to see that you change your behavior is from compassion, the same way that your toddlers or your, or your kids respond. Yeah. And I
0: love that you said, go recharge, then replay the scenario, Mm
2: -hmm. right? Because
0: when we're upset and our amygdala has hijacked our prefrontal cortex, there's no way that we can think reasonably and logically through what just happened. Right. And so to take that extra step, um, and gather ourselves, refuel, whatever it takes, you know, breathing exercises, meditation, prayer, whatever you need to do before revisiting the screw up. Right. And then yeah. say, all right, how can I do that differently? Yeah. yeah.
2: And I it's, it's the exact same thing with kids. Like if they're melting down, you're not teaching them in that moment. You're not teaching them. This is why we don't hit you wait till they calm down right. and then you can teach. Right. So it's the same for, for adults, for parents. Mm-hmm. And again, a coming, I think so much of it is coming at it with compassion and grace and love for yourself.
1: That's so good. I'm thinking of so many ideas sitting here thinking of like, yeah, what weird things, weird things set me off. Like I'll see that I get irritable when I'm really cold. And I'm sitting here thinking, what if I just bought myself a little space heater and put it by my chair up in my bedroom. And so when I'm starting to feel irritable because I'm cold, I just go sit for five minutes. Cause I'll get, i get like shaky. And then it like, it creates this response in me. That's like shaky, irritable. Like I'm going to just punch somebody, you know, whatever.
2: Yeah. What if I
1: just went and sat with a heater for, for three minutes? Like you said,
2: look. Oh but like, look how different that is coming at it from a place of how can I meet my own needs and mm-hmm. what is trigger in your being conscious and proactive versus just like, I shouldn't get mad. At, I shouldn't get mad at my kids. I shouldn't ever be irritable.
1: Right. Which, Which- is what I've done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I get more mad at myself. So I'm cold. Go put on some more socks. That is no excuse for being snippy with my children. Okay. It's not, but I can take a few minutes and just warm up. Or whatever the thing is that needs to be self care, you know.
2: Right? Yeah. For me, it's it's like hunger. Like I am, a, my whole family, my husband included, we are hangry people. So like, <laughs> I'm I'm better at recognizing it than my husband. He'll be really hangry. I'm like, dude, eat a bar. Like you got eat, dude. Like you're being so snippy with everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, meeting your needs instead of just expecting yourself to just rise above it. So like, you want to do that for your toddlers.
1: Right. Oh, so good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goodness,
0: I'm inspired.
2: <laughs> I'm glad that is my goal.
0: <laughs> so, Sarah Rose, tell us about uh, your coaching program and, um, you know, how you work with parents and what yeah. what do you want to plug for yourself today?
2: Yeah. So I um, obviously work virtually. Um, I usually do about eight sessions with clients, sometimes longer, but I usually, I, I like a minimum of eight sessions to really see changes. And again, I want to talk about all and figure out all those issues, all those triggers, the being cold or the feeling guilty, the mom guilt, the burnout, all of the, those things because obviously we've talked so much about how they then affect your toddler's behavior. So if we can really work through those things and then I can educate. So then I educate on respectful uh, respectful parenting strategies. Um, I, I work with couples and with individuals. Um, so I, a lot of um, times both parents will show up, which I love because we can get them on the same page, which obviously is a, you know, a a struggle for many people. So I I give assignments in between each coaching session so that they can like really practice these things, um, and work on the relationship. And, um, it's really, it's so cool to me to see parents communicating in a way they never have before and to, to be responding to their kids in such a different way and to feel confident and happy in this stage. Um, so yeah, it's really fun. So um, I work with a really limited number of clients because again, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm constantly <laughs> juggling childcare and toddlers and sicknesses and all that thing, um, all those things. But um, so I do the coaching and then I do occasional workshops, uh, group workshops, and those are on my website when I have them.
0: Okay. So um, I want to ask. You said that you enjoy working with couples because you want to make sure that they get on the same page. So, can you talk briefly about the consequences of not being on the same page?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can do it briefly, but I'll try. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, first of all, a lot of times what I see is parents on different pages, and usually mom, I think I've only ever seen mom being the one who is, you know, scouring Instagram and coming to dad with all of these tips. And it's not usually taken super well, um, because it's micromanaging. So what I will do is I will, um, I'll get, I, you know, I work with them to get on the same page, but what, what it does is it causes that so much resentment between people. And so they're fighting. And when you're fighting with your spouse or your partner, or whoever it is, it is really hard to show up as a calm, confident (laughs) parent, I mean, even when I fight with my husband, it changes my parenting so much. So we prioritize our marriage so much um, in order to both be able to show up. The other part of not being on the same page is the lack of consistency. So if you have, um, you know, a lot of times I see like one parent being the disciplinarian and one parent being soft to kind of make up for it because they feel bad. And so what it does is it just undermines really both parents and then again, it causes so much stress. And so I'll have you know parents where the dad is a disciplinarian and the mom comes in really soft and then the kid reacts and has a big tantrum because there's no consistency and then the parents are yelling at each other and it's just this big, not fun situation. <laughs> and then every situation is stressful with the family. So um, if we can get parents working more as partners, Um, and here's what it's important to both of you. And let's figure out what's important to both of you. And let's, um, let's look at, I try to get parents like to look more positively at each other, because I think that changes so much and makes you want to be a teammate. Um, instead of like, I've had people that are like, I just see him as like my opponent. And I'm like, no, this is, this is like your, this is your guy, you know, this is, this is your teammate. So you guys have to have the same strategies. We have to figure out what values you have in common, um, in order to get that, um, and again, like marriage issues affect parenting just so much just because of the stress of them. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you haven't gotten to say that you would like to say to our listeners? I don't think so. I feel like I covered a lot of that. I mean, if, if, if anybody takes anything away is to be kind to yourself, Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and that mistakes are human and beating yourself up is not going to help. Yeah. Good advice.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Sarah Rose Whaley, for spending time with us this morning and sharing these uh, uh, phenomenal tips to our yeah. listeners who have toddlers or know someone who has a toddler and could share. <laughs> yeah. um, so if you would like more information about Sarah Rose and her work, her website is joyfultoddlerparenting.com. You can find her on social media at joyfultoddlerparenting, and we will put that link and um, her handle in the show notes. So thank you so much for listening today. If you love our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube and you can find us on every social media channel at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms, so we're out.
2: Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah.